girl. My loyalty was to preserve and conserve and, and guard my chastity. And it seemed as if to my grandmother the only goal was by the time I reached maturity, which in her vision is 15 years of age, I would then have to find the right husband. And that husband would protect me, but all I had to do was submit to him. And the husband and I would produce children for the clan. So our loyalty, our life was completely devoted to carrying the bloodline one generation further. Now, how do you keep individuals behaving themselves? Most of that was enforced with Islamic rule. And the question that was used to blackmail us from day to day was, when you are standing in front of your God in the hereafter, would you like to be thrown into permanent hell or into permanent heaven? And that is a very, very compelling deterrent from sin. And sin, as I later came to understand it, was almost everything that Western society stood for, cherished and invested in. So you're describing an upbringing which was in many ways a kind of tribal upbringing. The primary loyalty was to your bloodline, to your clan. I got into, when I was in the Netherlands, the confusion of if I want to stay loyal to the bloodline, I can't integrate into Dutch society, be individualized, follow Dutch language classes, educate myself, make my own money and save it. Every activity that I did to integrate into Dutch society, almost every single activity entailed that I was somehow directly or indirectly betraying the blood clan and my religion. As I spent more time in Holland and got acquainted with other Muslims from other countries like Morocco, like Turkey, like Afghanistan, Iraq, Azerbaijan, I realized that we were all facing the same dilemma. But there are plenty of Muslim women in the U.S. who have made that transition, who are now professional women, teachers, lawyers, doctors, magazine editors, scientists, and who also are observant Muslims. Oh, that's not what I mean. Uh, it is uh, very much possible to leave a chaotic place, find an occupation in the West, follow it through and enjoy it. Problems only arise if the bloodline or the faith appeal to you to do something that in your conscience and in the new society that you're serving contradicts one another. I think the latest and most famous example is the young man who tried to blow up Times Square. He came on a student visa in search of the American dream. He demonstrated that he was capable of getting into university and passing his exams. He married an American woman. But when the forces of the bloodline and Islamism appealed to him, that got him into a state of confusion. And for him to get out of that state of confusion, out of that state of dissonance, he heeded what the Prophet Muhammad instructs him to do, at least what the jihadists tell him that they do, and gave up his job, took his wife and children to Pakistan, went to Pakistan to train for all kinds of terrorist activities, and in fact went on to carry out a terrorist activity. Now, I'm not saying he is the average Muslim, but I'm saying for those individuals who are very conscientious like he is, when they're confronted with predicaments like, where do I belong? Am I a citizen 
or am I a Muslim first? Surely there's also more than one kind of Islam. I mean, aren't there plenty of Muslims who consider the Quran's teachings to be about peace and tolerance and who regard the teachings of Islamist groups to be a perversion of their religion? The overwhelming majority of Muslims have not read the Quran. If they have, they've read it in Arabic, which is not their first language. Most Muslims live in despotic nations. The average Muslim's day-to-day -day life is one that is made up of how do I survive. But there is an activism financed by countries like Saudi Arabia and wealthy individuals living in Saudi Arabia who made money out of oil, Kuwait, the United Arab Emirates. When this movement goes from house to house, sets up websites, has sermons going up from mosque to mosque, even builds mosques.